Lainey, it's great to have you back here. And uh, thank you for uh, getting us onto this wonderful Frontline Sundays uh, series. So grateful uh, to have this resource to get us thinking about our ministry on the front line. So what's happening this morning? Thank you again uh, for the warm welcome and good morning, brothers and sisters. We're continuing on the front lines and seeing how God works in and through us there on our front lines. And I'm thinking this is week four out of five. Uh, how about a little recap of what's come before? And you kicked off with talk one. Yes, yeah, so we were talking about all the difference in the world and the key verse was from uh, 1 Peter where uh, Peter writes to the church, uh, Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus to the exiles, and we thought a lot about what it looks like to be exiles, to the exiles of the dispersion, uh, in other words, the exiles who are scattered everywhere, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, and we were reflecting on how the Lord Jesus has um, changed us, and he makes all the difference in the world to us, uh, but then he sends us out uh, as we scatter to make all of the difference in the world for him. Whoever we are, wherever we are, but that's a different talk. So what was next? What was the second week? That's what it was, wherever we are. And all those little red dots out there where you're scattered. So, yeah, week two, wherever we are. And the key verse was Genesis 28, 16. And that was when Jacob woke up from his dream and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And it's to think about, uh, we find it easy to agree this sanctuary is a sacred place, a holy place. The frontline idea wants us to remember that your local pharmacy, a prison, are sacred places. Your gym is a holy place, your classroom, your men's shed. They're sacred places where God is. And he's at work there and he wants you to join him in the work that he's doing there. You're his and you make a difference wherever you are. And basically, under God's lordship, we're serving and worshipping him wherever he puts us. And he's there with us. You head out those doors, we're sending you on your way into the world, into Cottesloe to worship him, out into the suburbs to worship him, to uni and school to worship and into the city to worship him. And all your businesses as well, as we saw this morning, your your business, you're there worshipping him and he's there with you. Week three. three. Uh, Your husband Dale was here with us uh, last week and he was talking about whatever you do. Uh, The phrase comes up twice in Colossians 3, verse 17 and then 23. He he says uh, in 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And uh, he was reminding us how uh, it's whatever we do, big or small, but the key thing is uh, not so much the what, but the why and the how that we uh, do it as worship for him and we do it in in the name of the Lord. Uh, So uh, that was last week. I'll leave it to you to tell us what we're looking at this week. On to week four and whoever we are. Let's briefly, briefly pray as we gather around the word. Uh, Lord, we think that we're united as brothers and sisters with your word and your son at the centre. Help us to apply your word this week and strengthen us as we leave here. Amen. So as you gathered, whoever we are, God is working on our front line. He's working always everywhere. And whoever we are, he's using us on our front line among those who don't know Jesus yet. And whoever we are, we matter to God. Our tasks and the people on our front line matter to God. Whoever. So who are you? 
How do you introduce yourself? When we meet others, it seems customary to ask, and what do you do? And we reply something like, I'm a design engineer. But do you see what we do there? We're answering a doing question with I am, an identity response. We're saying, I am what I do. This is a little bit reflective of our individualistic culture, and what that seems to say is that our identity, our value and our worth is tied up in what we do or don't do. I am what I do is a really crushing way to live if we think about it. We get tossed to and fro depending on whether you've had a good day, whether the boss expressed that you did a job well that day or they were critical of your work, how you're buoyed and proud when you get a promotion or you get really depressed and distressed and devastated if you're made redundant. Something Tim Keller points out on this is, when your work or your frontline tasks are your identity, success goes to your head and failure goes to your heart. That's that crushing. Our, failure say, our culture saying, I am what I do, is, is actually a terrible way to live. It's, even, it's a burden and it's a slavery. By his amazing grace, the gospel frees us from all types of burdens and slavery, including this one. Because Jesus is a rock-solid foundation, and we are his, even after those mistakes. Even if they're huge mistakes, we're still his. And we are of value to him. And we spend time with people who are valued by him, people on our front line. Let's return to how we introduce ourselves after we've looked at this morning's Bible passages. And if you think about that, there's lots of places of the Bible we could hop to consider our value to him, and you might have some that are coming to mind. But today we are looking at the familiar Lord's Prayer. And if you think about, um, it's very familiar to us, but in that familiarity we often forsake its beauty and diminish its magnitude It's a big prayer to a big God. And who are we but piddly little mites to pray such a huge prayer to the creator of the universe? As Tim Chester says in the book he wrote, You Can Pray, it's a big prayer that expands the lives of all who pray it. Let's take up our Bibles again and read it again with me. And we're going to look at who we are, starting from verse 9 of Matthew 6. That was page 787 in your pew Bibles. So that was Matthew 6, and we're starting at verse 9. Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. The first thing we can highlight there is the structure that Jesus has modelled in this prayer. He starts with heaven, the king's throne room. He transitions in that middle part with on earth as it is in heaven. And then the prayer addresses these earthly aspects. So this morning we have time just for a couple of elements of this big prayer for your front lines. Let's start with the significance of those first two words, our Father. Jesus says we are to address the sovereign, holy, majestic God of the universe as Father. This means that prayer is simply a child speaking to their father, asking for his help. 
While this is easy to say, it's another thing to believe and live out. It requires us to acknowledge our childlike weakness and our need for help. It's to admit that we can't do everything and we certainly can't control everything. Like a child, we need the help of our father. who can do everything and does control everything. And this includes our front line. Like we saw in the painting of the nurse last week, it had um, the nurse working at the bedside of a patient and Jesus was working right alongside her. But some of us uh, leave God here back at church or we get to the door of our front lines and we leave him outside the door. So we're wanting to encourage you to take him into your week and thank God it's Monday. We have a friend who's retired from work at the Bank of England and he shares this picture, this idea of walking into the office door and saying, good morning, Lord. I just need that Birmingham accent to do it with. He's a very encouraging guy on front lines. But basically our prayer saying is reminding us he's a generous, good, loving and extravagant father. And if you're ever in doubt of that, look to the cross where the father who so loved you gave the son he loves for you. And in so doing, he's paved the way for you to call him father. And Paul points that out in Galatians 4. Let's quote that. Because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. So the prayer opens with an assurance of our identity. It's an identity that no one and no circumstance can take away, as promised in Romans 8, 37 to 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are a child of God, you don't lose your status if you've had a bad week. Have a little look at that postcard you received. It's mind-blowing how rich this identity we have as God's people. There's a whole list there, but let's have a couple of them. Sisters, brothers, heirs, ministers of a new covenant, witnesses, salt of the earth, light of the world, ambassadors of the king, so many, and there's more than those, but this is a wonderful reminder to keep with you. Keep it on your front line or keep it on your place as you head out the door to remind you who you are. It's showing that when we accept Jesus as our saviour, he gives us a new identity and a new sense of worth. We're no longer defined by our past mistakes or our present circumstances. We are children of God, and it is him who gives us immeasurable worth and value. So we're remembering that our worth is not based on anything we do or achieve or titles, but rather on the fact that we are loved and valued by Jesus. It's who, not do. And I'm really so thankful we can call him Father, that we know we can call on him. It's an amazing gift and privilege. He never fails us and always gives us hope. And of course, all glory and honour and praise belong to him. As Jesus goes on to pray in our Lord's Prayer there, hallowed be your name. 
But that can be quite a contrast to how many undertake their daily labour and the things that they do on their front lines. We'll often do them for our own name and reputation. This prayer reminds us that we labour for the sake of God's name and reputation. As God's people, we join with the psalmist in Psalm 115 praying, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Why? Because of who he is, his extravagant love and his faithfulness. And that's a radical perspective to take into our front lines, where they're by him and for him. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he's saying the starting point of all prayer must be asking for God's glory and reputation to be known in all the earth, that his name might be hallowed. So to hallow just means to, be, uh, to make holy, to set apart, and establish as different from all the rest. Jesus says it should be the first request we make in a prayer, a request which shapes all other prayers. God, would you respond to this request? Would you do this thing? Would you bring relief to that person, ultimately for the sake of your name and reputation? Father, hallowed be your name. So the Lord's Prayer starts with an assurance of our identity as children of God. It aligns us with his purpose in the world. It reaffirms an attitude of constant reliance on him for sustenance, forgiveness, power and protection. So serving God is not about trying harder, but allowing God to work in and through our lives. For him to be hallowed in our work, God isn't after our performance or your performance, he's after your heart for him. By his will, we are saved to serve and glorify him. By his will, saved for his kingdom purposes, as the next line of the prayer goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you do, he has placed you on your particular front line to bring a taste of his kingdom Every one of us, and in so many different ways, each one of you are his hands and his feet on those front lines. This is ministry. Ministry just means to serve, and everyone has a ministry. There's no hierarchy of paid ministry and lay ministry. All are value to God. As his daughters and sons, we're as his instruments. He's using us and helping us to be fruitful in so many ways, and we ask him for help uh, for us to be fruitful. And graciously, he's given us many ways to be fruitful, so many aspects that we can show, shine, and share the gospel. For example, do you remember our six M's from my October visit and Dale's talk last week? Six ways to see his will done on earth as it is in heaven. And they all started with M, if you recall, the six M's we call them, Model godly character, make good work, minister grace and love, mould culture, be a mouthpiece for truth and justice, and be a messenger of the gospel. So we are his, and we are there for his purposes, to bring a taste of the kingdom, to make a difference on your front line. And so what we're seeing here is, see how God's story is different God's story sees your work as valuable, as part of something incredible that he's doing here in the world. Perhaps 
God has placed you on this front line for such a time as this. Mordecai and Esther saw God at work for them and through them on their front line for such a time as this. And if you think about the Bible and look at the whole of God's story, we see lots of front lines in God's story. And the people involved are, in human terms, great and small. But as we know from the Bible and from this series, they were all valued by God as his people. There's lots of examples we can run through. Let's think of Paul. He was in prison. He ministered to the fellow prisoners and was able to be a mouthpiece for the gospel to uh, the guards as well. Think of Jonah. He was a passenger on a ship with lots of people who didn't know, know God. And we see the crew turn to God. Uh, jump into the New Testament, we see the guidelines for being someone of faith and your household is your front, front line. We have wives with non-believing husbands and servants with non-believing masters, and there's more. Our faithfulness at work has also been recorded for us in the Bible. And generations of believers like us can see them as examples for us. Myself, as a former project engineer, I'm going to mention Nehemiah, the praying project manager, first. We have fishermen, made disciples and apostles. There's soldiers and warriors. In Genesis, and a few times, this one comes up, Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And there's the runaway slave, our now brother, Philemon. Think of Joseph working for Potiphar and for Pharaoh, and there was praying Daniel in pagan Babylon. Both did their roles well, and they rose to quite senior positions. And I think you can think of more stories. That always remember also that even Jesus worked as a carpenter before he went into what we call word ministry. I wonder if we've ever thought about the unnamed girl in this morning's Old Testament reading. It's helpful to turn up to 2 Kings 5, page 293 of your pew Bibles. And thank you to our readers this morning. So there in 2 Kings 5, we're introduced to this servant girl. She's a servant girl to the general's wife. We don't get her name, but here she is recorded in the Bible and read about for centuries and centuries and centuries more unless Jesus returns. She's a young Israelite, and she knows God. He knows he's a big God who listens and restores. In that culture, she's a nobody of nobodies, but greatly valued by her father God. She's a young female. In that culture, that's two strikes against being listened to. She's a captured servant girl in this pagan general's household. How does she feel about her captors? She could be resentful. We've got no idea if she is or isn't mistreated. Either way, she's got absolutely no standing. And I suspect with that culture, I suspect this girl risks being beaten for speaking up. But speak up, she does. And if you look at what she's suggesting, she's saying the solution to Naaman's problem is going to come from his enemy, it's a mad idea in human terms to speak up and do what, what she suggests. Either way, think of yourself in this girl's shoes and how God wants us to see. She is seeing another image of God who is suffering and 
she steps up, she speaks up. And if we look at the six M's in what she's doing, with boldness, she has stepped up and ministered grace and love. She has served her household well and made good work. This young Israelite girl could have wallowed in her fate as a captive. She could have wished ill on these enemies. Instead, she has God's eyes and heart for those on her front line to flourish, not suffer. They're pagan, yes, but firstly, they're people on her front line whom God values. Let's take a look in the Bible there at the outcome we see in verse 14 and 15. We'll see that God is faithful and his name is hallowed. Let's read from verse 14. So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. He came and stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a present from your servant. He doesn't wonder at the cleaning the fresh young skin that he has. He turns straight to hallowing God. So we see Naaman make this declaration about God and he wants to turn away from the pagan gods. Uh, Elisha reassures him, and we think he's a new convert. Elisha sends him to go in peace. So it appears God has called Naaman into saving faith, all because of a young servant girl, a captive in an enemy's household. There's lots to see in this story, but uh, we're picking up on God is reminding us to never think you're too small. And even the little ones here, we commission the little ones at our church out to their front lines at school as well. And they've they've done a little Sunday school series. I'll share that with you. (laughs) Basically, they're not too small to recognise their front line and how God's using them there. And we don't always know the impact that we have. Wherever you've been placed by God, you can all make a difference in the world. All of us are in ministry called to love and serve. How might you minister to the needs on your front line? A couple of examples from my City Bible Forum work and a lot of city workers who I pray with. I have a number of prayerful uh, workers in town who are, are good listeners and they care for their co-workers. They're like on-the-spot workplace chaplains who want to see their co-workers flourish. flourish. Uh, I also call myself a workplace chaplain, but I can't always go into those workplaces, but those work workers are already on the spot where God's put them, and they're the workplace chaplains. And there's managers who care and pray. They want to see their team members flourish as individuals as well as in teamwork. And that's part of our salvation. Salvation isn't an end in itself. It doesn't stop there. We're saved from and for. We're saved from God's wrath and eternity separated from him and by his grace saved for his purposes. We respond to God's gracious salvation by serving God, not just in our religious and church activities, but in every part of life, including our daily work and all those activities of our hands that he gives us in our front lines. Saved to serve and glorify him. Let's return to introducing ourselves. I have a suggestion from Mark Green to try another way to think about introducing ourselves. 
uh, Mark Green and the LICC team are behind Fruitfulness on the Frontlines uh, in this series and a number of fruitfulness ones. And this idea, idea comes from the very, very first material I did with him, with Christian life and work. And so the suggestion is we could introduce ourselves with thinking of this identity from Jesus. I'm a Christian thinly disguised as an engineer or an accountant. I'm a Christian thinly disguised as a painting teacher, a GP. Or how about, as we've seen this morning, I'm a daughter of my heavenly father, called to live for him as I do my everyday tasks, whether that's cleaning or washing, hugging grandchildren or studying diligently. How about I'm loved by the king of the universe to teach at school or to CEO a big mining company? We've seen this morning that we can start reminding at the start of our, our frontline day, our work day, at least to ourselves and each other, I'm a son of the Heavenly Father or a daughter of the King of the Universe who is also, what's your dot, dot in front line? What difference would it make to your, how you pray as you head into your day? How about greeting each other over morning tea this morning with your postcard identities? And can you help each other think of more creative ways to introduce yourself? Um, When I'm talking to people who don't know Jesus, I don't say I work in evangelistic ministry in the city, helping workers share Jesus with their friends. I tend to answer, if I don't know who I'm talking to, that I'm a workplace chaplain and helping people in their workplaces. And that usually leads to more questions. So you can be creative in how you introduce yourself as well. So in helping each other, that's just it. We have each other. We're not going it alone. And he doesn't leave us. To go it alone. We do get this key picture from the Lord's Prayer as well. The Lord's Prayer is prayed corporately. That's us as a body. Think of the words there. Our Father, give us, forgive us, rescue us. Our Father, we pray together. And together, we seek his name hallowed. And that's for next week. Together we grow, stronger together with him. We're saying go as disciples seven days a week and supporting one another as we endeavour to live out our faith, whoever you are. And our, so our key idea we've been looking at today, it's about who you are to whom. We remember that we love and serve Jesus by loving and serving those he has put us amongst, those who don't know Jesus, on our front line. We remember as, that as sons and daughters, it's an honour to worship the Father. He is present and we worship him in all of our lives. Here, when we walk out those doors and into your front lines, we worship him there. On our front lines, we're followers of Jesus, sons and daughters of the Most High God, creator of the universe. It's about who you are, to whom. This is our, our identity in him and not in what we do. It's this upward and inward understanding that aligns and strengthens us to live out that identity. He's filled us to send each other to shine, show and share the good news of Jesus. We partner in his mission and purposes on our front line. We've received amazing fullness in Jesus. We're able to minister and sacrifice wherever he puts us to see his name hallowed. And so we're praying that this series will help you receive the weekly benediction that's sending out in a bigger 
deeper way. That sending out um, passage says, or it's a prayer we all pray, Father, we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice through Jesus our Lord. Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. So, brothers and sisters, let's ask the Father for help in joyful, sacrifice, sacrificial living for his glory. Thank you, Father God, for your amazing grace expressed to us in Jesus Christ's life, death, resurrection and reign. Thank you for our identity, for who we are in Christ. Thank you, Father God, each one of us has this free gift in Christ through his death and resurrection that we can cry out, Abba, Father. May we increasingly know the breadth and depth of your love for us as your spirit roots this truth in us through our daily lives as your sons and daughters. Remind us, Lord, that through no effort of our own, we are sons and daughters of the King, sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. May we wonder in this truth. Father God, later as we leave this time together and are scattered to wherever your sovereignty has put us, we pray you will shape us in the likeness of Christ. We pray the knowledge in our hearts and minds of your return and the promise of your presence with us would shape our lives on our front lines. For we are your handiwork, created to bring you joy and to be your people in the world. As we serve our Lord, we pray in his name. Amen. We're going to pause a little longer and reflect with the video. comes. Lay tasks to rest. Thoughts reflecting on the day. The gifts you give. The people you trust me with. What an honour it is. To work within your plan. You know my name. For the work you give me. Your strength sustains. Yet I am more to you than instrument. I am son, daughter, friend. In my inmost, knit to you. Inseparable. Invaluable. Loved. Celebrated. Heard. Pursued. Grace abounding. Found in you. My work could not win this gift from you. <laughs> 